Amen. Amen to that worship uh, together. Let's turn now in our Bibles to Mark uh, chapter 9. Uh, we're going to be in Mark 9 as we continue this series uh, in the gospel according to Mark. Our verses this morning, our text is verses 14 to uh, 29 and sermon title, uh, He Arose. Hallelujah uh, to that. Let me give you some just some contextual things from last week before we get into our passage this morning. Uh, Jesus is coming down off of the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter and James and John. And as we know from last week's message, uh, those three disciples had just really kind of seen behind the curtain of the glory of God. Uh, and they're about to see again. They come down off the mountain and they're about to see again behind the curtain of darkness. Uh, this is our, our passage this morning is the fourth narrative of Jesus exercising uh, the demonic spirits out of people. So it's the fourth time in the gospel that we've seen uh, an exorcism. Um, and specifically, uh, this, this passage, a narrative about a young man who has been exposed to an evil spirit since his childhood. So uh, before we get into the narrative, I want to give you just some very brief uh, biblical context on spiritual warfare. Three verses for you to consider. These will be very uh, familiar verses uh, to most of you. The first is uh, John 10.10. 10. Jesus said this, uh, the thief or the enemy uh, comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy I came, Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. In Peter's uh, letter in 1 Peter 5, 8, Peter says, uh, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And then lastly, from Ephesians 6, verse 12, uh, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. You can see the things that I've underlined to emphasize, uh, still kill and destroy, seeking someone to devour this present darkness, spiritual forces of evil. The point uh, is simply this we we certainly we know this we understand this we live in the natural realm in our lives but we would be wise we would to consider and to know and to understand that we also live in a spiritual realm and spiritual warfare is quite real and we have a real enemy against us uh, the passage today the narrative today will uh, will will Show us this, the spiritual forces of evil in um, this young man's life. So if you have your Bibles open, uh, I'm going to start by just uh, reading verse 14. Uh, we'll read this first verse together, unpack it a little bit, and then we'll read the whole passage and unpack the rest of it uh, together. So Mark 9, starting in verse 14, and when they, speaking of Jesus, Peter, James, and John, when they came down the Mount of Transfiguration, they came to the disciples. These were the other disciples. And they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And so the scene is this. Jesus, Peter, James, and John, they're coming down off the mountain into this huge debate, really into some pandemonium 
between this big crowd of people and the scribes. And the argument is happening between the disciples and this group of people known as the scribes. I want to just unpack that a little bit for us so we know who these uh, people are. The scribes in ancient Israel, uh, they were learned men. And their business, their job, uh, their business was to study the law, uh, to transcribe it. And so hence the name scribes, to study the law, to transcribe it, and to write their own personal commentaries uh, on the law. Uh, Write their own traditions, uh, if you will, as well. One of the commentaries that I read this week and just kind of doing a deeper dive into the scribes uh, said it this way about these Uh, This group of men, Uh, the scribes original aim was in earnest to know and to preserve the Mosaic law and to encourage others to keep it. But things turned horribly wrong when man made traditions overshadowed God's word. We know from Mark chapter seven, the beginning of Mark chapter seven, Jesus coming up against man-made traditions and his debate uh, with the Pharisees from Mark 7, if you want to look at that a little later. But things turned horribly wrong when man-made traditions overshadowed God's word and a pretense of holiness replaced a life of true godliness. The scribes whose stated goal was to preserve the word actually nullified it by adding the traditions that they were handing down. And so uh, throughout the gospel of Mark, whether it's Pharisees or scribes, uh, the scribes are consistently in conflict with Jesus. The reason is because the grace of Jesus and the law of the scribes don't mix. Uh, The grace of Jesus and the traditions, these man-made traditions that the scribes create and put on people as a heavy yoke, they don't mix with the grace and the message and the ministry of Jesus. And so that's a bit of context about what we're seeing here in the very first verse. Let's keep reading. I'm just going to read the rest of the passage, um, and I'll start with verse 14 again. We'll read down uh, through uh, verse 29, and I'll be reading uh, through the ESV translation. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and the scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, when they saw Jesus, uh, they were greatly amazed and they ran up to Jesus and greeted him. And Jesus asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him or bring the little boy, bring the son to me. And so they brought the boy to him. And when the Spirit saw him, when the Spirit saw Jesus, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked, his, asked the father of the boy, how long has this been happening to him? And the father said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion or have mercy on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, 
I think that's kind of funny uh, to think about when the father says, if you can have compassion on us. And Jesus's next statement was, if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and he said, I believe, help me with my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that the crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. And when he had entered the house, this was later, this was after this scene happens, Jesus is in a home, he's in a house with just the disciples. Verse 28, and when he, Jesus, had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And Jesus said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Uh, I want to uh, make four really uh, points about this passage with you in our time together uh, this morning. And then uh, Lindsay is going to make uh, a summary statement or two as well uh, at the end. The first point I want to make uh, about this passage is to highlight for you uh, this statement or this phrase in verse 29 when Jesus said this kind. I just want to hone in on that phrase here with you for just a moment. Because when we think about this kind, when Jesus says this kind, that must mean there are also other kinds. Uh, and so I want to look at a couple of scriptures with you uh, to, uh, to understand more. We're going to be, be looking at a number of other scriptures today. I just would encourage you to just write these verses down, and you can go back and look at these later as well. So the first, the first scripture I want to look at with you and thinking more about this kind is Paul writing to the church in Ephesus uh, in Ephesians chapter 2. This is Ephesians 2, 1 and 2. Paul is reminding the church about what it was like to be uh, outside of the family of God, not in Christ before their conversion, before their salvation. And he says to the church, uh, in you, were dead, past tense, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world or the ways of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So again, we're thinking about the statement, this kind means that there must be other kinds. And I think this verse, we can glean that there are three kinds mentioned here. You can see that in the yellow highlighted um, parts of the passage on your screen. The one, one kind is the course of this world or the ways of this world, the way the enemy infiltrates culture, uh, the lies of the world uh, that come from culture. Another way that I see Paul uh, speaking about the way the demonic infuses itself uh, into our lives is, is the enemy himself, the prince of the power of the air, the prince of darkness himself. And then the third kind mentioned in verse 2, uh, Paul calls the sons of disobedience. These are uh, hostages to the enemy's lies. These are people who, who their eyes are blind. They have not trusted 
Christ. And so we see uh, three kinds here in this passage. I want to look at one more passage with you in uh, thinking about this phrase, this kind. Uh, Again, the Apostle Paul, this is 2 Corinthians 4, verses 4 and 5. Paul says, the God of this age, speaking of the enemy, the prince of darkness, has blinded the minds of unbelievers who Paul calls sons of disobedience in Ephesians 2, verse 2. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that brings the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as servants for Jesus' sake. Here's the point I want to try to make with us, whether it's this kind or that kind or any kind, uh, all, all demonic spirits uh, come up against the truth and the glory of this statement that Paul makes in 2 Corinthians 4. Jesus Christ as Lord. Uh, so this kind in Mark chapter 9 is against Jesus as Lord. And that kind in Ephesians 2, 2, those kinds are also against Jesus is Lord. This kind in Mark 9 against Jesus is Lord. This kind is also against the proclamation that people may receive forgiveness of sins. What Jesus is saying in verse 29, this kind is against Jesus as Lord. And this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer, which is the second point that I want to make with you. I want to emphasize that phrase, but prayer. In the narrative, uh, we, we see this massive dispute, and the pandemonium and the dispute certainly was connected to the scribes and them coming against the grace of Jesus, but the very specific reason that there was this pandemonium and huge debate was around the disciples, the nine disciples that didn't go up with Jesus up on the Mount of Transfiguration. Uh, they were trying to cast out this demonic spirit out of this young man. And so the massive dispute was centered on the disciples' failure. We see the question that they asked Jesus in private at the end of the narrative in verse 28. They asked Jesus in private, why couldn't we cast it out? Um, You could underline the word we in that verse. I want to put the emphasis on the word we. Why couldn't we cast it out? Perhaps... Perhaps they had a a misplaced confidence in themselves. Uh, Perhaps they were relying on some type of technique or ministry formula or some way of doing it instead of trusting in God alone to do the work. We don't know exactly what they were doing uh, that brought this failure and this huge debate, but we do know they weren't praying. So we again, we don't know what they were doing that brought the failure, but we do know they weren't praying. The reason we know that is because Jesus rebuked them in verse 19 with this statement. He said, faithless generation, you're not operating in faith. How long am I to bear with you? In other words, they weren't praying in faith. They were operating in their own confidence. We can figure this out. Uh, we can make this happen. We've, we've done this before. Let's just do this time what we did before. Um, but, 
the point is they didn't figure it out. Uh, they didn't make it happen. Uh, they failed. And Jesus' answer to the disciples makes it clear uh, that healing, healing here didn't have anything to do with a special technique, uh, plug and play, a specific formula, or some tradition. Um, they couldn't cast it out because they weren't operating in faith. I want to remind you of a verse in Psalm 121.1. The psalmist says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake uh, in vain. It seems, it seems as if uh, that's what was happening in this story. They were trying uh, they were trying to do it, but they weren't operating in faith. They weren't operating in, f- in, in prayer, and so they were laboring in vain, which brought on this huge uh, debate. Again, in verse 29, uh, when Jesus says, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer, he is calling them to faith in God alone. Uh, Paul makes this really clear, simple statement in Galatians 5, 6 that I think really helps us see what's going on here when he says the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. That's not what was happening in this story, and that's why Jesus says this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer, but prayer and faith in God alone okay point c and speaking about that and thinking about prayer in the story i want to just ask you to consider this question who was praying in the narrative it wasn't the disciples it was only one person right who's the person praying it was the dad was the boy's father he was the only one in the narrative actually praying and his prayer Uh, was kind of barely hanging on, honestly. It was uh, a struggling, kind of desperate uh, through uh, pain and struggle and even through his own doubt. But he was praying nonetheless. And this was his prayer. In verse 22, he says, he cried out, he prayed, he cried out to God, if you can do anything, have compassion or mercy on us and help us. And then he prayed again. He spoke to Jesus with the prayer, I believe, help me with my unbelief. I think the father uh, had almost reached the point where he had given up uh, all hope. And he tethers what little hope he has left, what little faith he has left to Christ. And he asks for help. And I look at these two prayers and I think this is, this is real. This is real, authentic prayer. Um, This prayer uh, is not manufactured by some Christianese um, mustering up faith and and saying you just got to have more faith kind of stuff. That's not what's going on here. Uh, He he pleads he pleads to Christ just as he is. And I would say he's a doubter. He, He has faith, but there's a whole lot of unbelief as well. And that's why he prays that way. Um, I believe, help me with my unbelief. I, I really think that this is important for us, church, to understand and find some rest in in our lives. 
and I want to say uh, to you, uh, we need to be beware, we need to be aware, and we need to beware of any teaching that says there wasn't healing in this case or there wasn't healing in that case because they or them or you even didn't have enough faith. Because what I see really clearly in this story is this. The point, the point of the story is to operate in faith, to operate in belief, to operate in prayer. The point of the story isn't the amount of our faith or to muster up faith or just have more faith. The point is to pray in faith and trust in God alone. So the point I want to make here is this. Uh, what matters is not the size of our faith, but the object of our faith, Jesus only. I'm connecting uh, Mark chapter 9, verse 8 from last week on the Mount of Transfiguration. I'm connecting that phrase, only Jesus, to our passage this morning. We see this emphasized in Mark 9, this narrative today. The Father's faith was barely hanging on. So Jesus isn't emphasizing the amount of our faith. He's just emphasizing faith. And the truth of the matter is the Father's faith was barely hanging on through a lot of struggle and a lot of doubt. We see the same thing, you guys, in the similar account in Matthew chapter 17. I don't need you to turn there, but I want you to write down Matthew 17, verses 14 to 20. So that passage, Matthew 7, 14 to 20, is the same narrative of our passage this morning in Mark chapter 9. I do want to read to you. Uh, two verses out of Matthew chapter uh, 17. Same story, different gospel. Then the disciples in verse 19, Matthew 17, came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? And Jesus said to them, because of your little faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of a mustard seed, not just a mustard seed, but the grain of a mustard seed. If you have faith, even, even that much faith, even a little bit of faith, even the faith of the grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. The reason why I wanted to bring in the Matthew account is I want to, uh, I just want to emphasize um, the main point that what matters is not the size of our faith, but the object of our faith, Jesus only. Because in Mark uh, chapter 9, we get this phrase. We get this, this, this understanding. I believe, help me with my unbelief. And in Matthew 17, we have, if you have faith like a mustard seed. That's not abundance of faith. That's just, that's, that's some faith. That's a little faith. In Mark 9, Jesus says this. All things are possible for the one who believes. Even, even when belief looks like the prayer of the Father, help me with my unbelief. In Matthew 17, Jesus says nothing will be impossible for you even when belief or faith is only that of a mustard seed. So again, the main point is this. Faith in Jesus is the key. It's the object of our faith. It's not the amount of our faith. It's the object. 
And so pray, church, in your life in this season. Pray with mustard seed faith if that's what you have. Pray, pray with I believe. Help me with my unbelief. Pray with faith that is even infused with doubt. But pray in faith. I, w- I want you to remember this the next time. I'm going to say this uh, clearly and slowly with you guys because I want to, um, I just want to lovingly exhort you in this way. Uh, please remember this the next time you are tempted to believe that by you praying harder gets a better result from God. That I'm going to pray really really hard about this. Perhaps some of us are thinking this way right now in this current crisis that we're living in. This this idea that if I that if I pray harder, if I do better, if I do more, then we'll get a better, different, more result from God. Uh, family, Mark chapter 9 and Matthew 17 don't teach us that bigger faith gets bigger results. And if our thinking is that praying harder gets a better result, we actually aren't operating in faith in God, but faith in our faith. We're actually operating in a faith that praying harder gets a better result. And so what I'm calling you to do, I'm calling you to pray with faith in God. Not pray with faith in your faith or pray with faith in your ability or your mustering up some need to pray harder. Uh, This way of thinking is not the way of grace, church, but the way of religion and a works-based behavior. Because what we see in this story is the prayer of faith in a father who's pretty desperate and who's battling a lot of doubt and even some unbelief uh, as well. Um, Henry Nouwen makes this statement in The Living Reminder, and he says, Prayer is a way of being empty and useless in the presence of God and proclaiming that all is of grace and nothing is simply the result of hard work. This is is what the disciples had to learn from their failure in this story, that healing comes from God. And that they must depend entirely upon God. And Jesus said it this way in the story when he was beginning to interact with this young man. And this is the last point of the morning. And he says, bring him to me. Emphasis on the word me. All things are possible for the one who believes in me. Not for the one, it doesn't say, not for the one who prays harder. It doesn't say that all things are possible for the one who works harder. It says that all things are possible for the one who believes. This this is the way of grace, friends. This is the gospel message. Faith alone and Jesus alone by grace alone. And in this story, the disciples missed it. And they had to learn it. And we must also learn it as well and find the rest and the freedom of Jesus only faith alone Jesus alone grace alone Jesus says bring the boy to me and he commands the evil spirit to flee and it does and the people as you remember from the story the people literally thought that the boy was dead 
after Jesus commanded the evil spirits out of him. And we see in verse 27, but Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. This is, again, the ESV translation. I want to invite you to underline, highlight, put a box around that phrase, he arose. Let's not miss the resurrection language in this narrative. Jesus gave the boy new life, and he arose because that's who Jesus is, and that's what Jesus does. He brings life, and he brings it life abundantly. For Lindsay and I, uh, our pastoral call can be simplified down to one very, uh, very simple thing. Uh, Not just in this uh, intense, confusing um, season of our lives where fear can so easily uh, creep in. There's so many unknowns right now, and our pastoral call for you and for everyone can be simplified down to something very simple, pointing you to Jesus only. He came that we may have life and have it abundantly. We think about the father's pain. His pain and his prayer has immediacy for our current life situation. And the father's pain and the father's prayer was simply this. I believe, help me with my unbelief. Jesus's response and Jesus's promise to the father's pain and the father's prayer also has immediacy for our current life situation. Bring him to me. Come to me. Come to me. All things are possible for the one who believes. In my Bible, what I have done, I would invite you to do the same, is I have put a box around uh, two things from Mark chapter 9. I've put a box around it, and I've highlighted it. The first is this, Mark 9, 8, Jesus only. And the second is this, Mark 9, 27, he arose. This is the hope of the world. This is the hope of our lives. This is where my hope is today. This is where your hope is today. And this is where everyone's hope is today. Don't ever let go of this hope, church. Jesus only, he arose. Walk in faith, stand on the promises of God, build your house on the rock of Jesus only. All other ground is sinking sand. I want to ask Lindsay to come up and just share some brief thoughts of conclusion for you guys this morning. So in summary... I just want to encourage us in this time and always um, to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Um, Hebrews 12, 2 says, And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. And the NIV says, um, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Our faith is actually strengthened and stirred up as we meditate our hearts and minds on Jesus alone. Um, As Jason said, Jesus is the object of our faith. Um, His presence is never apart from us um, as he dwells within us. 
Um, but there is a battle in our mind for what we receive as what's true. Um, Jesus is our truth. And as we are pounded with information, um, may we filter it through the grid of what is true, which is Jesus. He is our victory. He is our hope. He is grace and forgiveness, love and glory and power. He is our wisdom. He is our peace. And he is on the throne, and we are right next to him. Um, we don't have to understand it all, but our faith is stirred up, and it is grown, um, and our peace grows as we keep our eyes solely on him. And I want to end with Isaiah 26.3. And it says, You keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. I want to pray for us now. Father, thank you that you have given us Jesus. Thank you that Jesus is our victory and he is our hope. He is truth. And I just pray that as our hearts and minds are stayed on Jesus, that peace would just grow in our lives that it would be stirred up in our very being, Lord, and that that peace would be contagious to our families and to those around us. And we thank you, Lord, that you are the Prince of Peace. And so we may we just keep our minds and our hearts focused on you, the object and the perfecter of our faith. In your name we pray. Amen. Right, amen, church family. We're going to move to worship again now, and as, uh, as you worship as a response, as we always do when we're gathered together on a Sunday morning, we want to invite you to receive a communion in your homes, the body of Jesus that's been broken for you, his blood shed for you. Uh, this is the hope of our lives, and so as we respond in worship, we want to encourage you to uh, to, to do that in your homes and also as you're stirred in offering uh, to our church and the vision and the mission of our church, uh, you can uh, give online through our website or you can also send uh, your offerings into our P.O. box. Uh, our commitment to you is to be a steward of your generosity, to be a blessing and a hope in our community and throughout the world. Uh, let's worship the Lord together now. <laughs>